right, you may be seated. Good morning. Cold this morning in South Florida. Whew. In my hometown there in North Carolina, talking to my dad and my mom. They got several inches of snow Friday and Saturday, and it dropped to about 18 degrees. So low to mid 50s, not too bad. But it's cold to us. All right, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 53. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. Pastor Doug and Pastor Jim said I had permission to bring the heat this morning. So the message today is entitled, Jesus, Our Compassionate Savior, and also a condemning judge. Jesus, compassionate Savior, and condemning judge. And we're going to continue this series in the gospel, the gospel mark of our suffering servant, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. Jesus, we are thankful we have the opportunity to gather to meet this morning uh, yes, it is a little colder, but it's just a reminder, God, of your creation, how you're in control of the weather, just how you provide for us in so many different ways of giving us the breath of life, uh, just even how you design our bodies uh, to warm us up, God, how you provide us with clothing and jackets and the chairs that we're sitting in, uh, the beautiful trees, and God, you're just good, and you're common grace, you're a good God, you're faithful, and then fathers, as we've already said this morning, we're thankful for the word, that we can open up the words of life this morning, and Father, we pray that you you will be glorified. Your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what you set it out to accomplish this morning. Father, would you help us to be watchful, be mindful, be alert, be attentive to what you have to hear this morning from your word. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. You know, the introduction this morning is very simple. Every one of us here will experience Jesus either as our compassionate Lord and Savior, or we will experience Him as our condemning judge. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Passage this morning, we're going to see a group of religious leaders that come against Jesus Christ and they experience him as their condemning 
judge. So let's turn to Mark 6, 53, and let's begin to read there. And we're going to read all the way through chapter 7, verse 8. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gesineret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they compassionate Savior. Let me give just a little bit of the background to catch us up from a few weeks back. This is at the height of the popularity of the ministry of Jesus. We're entering into his last year of public ministry. And if you remember from Mark chapter 6, uh, he's fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, he has come to the disciples walking on water as they were trying to get to another location and there was the storm and they were basically fearing uh, for their lives and Jesus comes on the scene and uh, he rescues them and they see him miraculously walk on water and over and over we've been able to see that Jesus he is the one who has power over death and disease and over the demons and over all of creation and now we come to this little summary passage in verse 53. The disciples and Jesus, they land there in a land called Gesineret. And they moored or they anchored to the shore. And this particular place was near Capernaum. And it was a fertile land. It was a luscious land. It was a heavily populated land at this time because it was a great place for farming. And when you look at verses 54 and 55, as they get out of the boat, it doesn't take long, does it? We've seen this before. The popularity of Jesus is just gaining and gaining and gaining momentum. They immediately recognize him. And so what do they do? Look at verse 55. They run about the whole region 
And they began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. I want you to think about that. Think about their desperation. Think about their commitment that they are willing to carry their family members. They're willing to carry their friends on these beds, on these mats to simply get to Jesus. How desperate are we this morning to get to Christ? How committed are we this morning to get someone to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And then look at verse 56. Wherever he came, it didn't matter if it was villages. It didn't matter if it was cities. It didn't matter if it was the countryside. In all these different places, they would lay the sick before him in the marketplaces. So think uh, kind of like, uh, you know, we, most of our stuff is indoors, but a marketplace of, you know, an outside grocery store and all these different shops and places where, you know, commercial business would take place. Wherever Jesus was in these particular marketplaces, they would lay the people before him. And then look at what it says. They implored him. That means they begged earnestly with passion. And what were they asking Jesus to do? That they would simply be able to touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Think back to the woman with the issue of blood. Think back of her urgency, her commitment to get to Christ. She had suffered for years upon years, but she knew if she could get to Jesus, that all would be made well. Our Lord Jesus is a compassionate Savior. As you see this morning, it didn't matter what their motives were in coming to Jesus. Look at what it says there at the end of verse 6. 56, and as many as touched it, his garment were made well. Jesus in his common love and grace and mercy chose to heal all of these people in the midst of their suffering. And even though the text doesn't tell us, we know from the woman with the issue of blood that she came to faith in Christ, there were probably others. In the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their coming to Jesus, in the midst of their physical needs being met, they were coming to know Christ. So again, I ask you this morning, how desperate are you to get to Christ? How committed are you to get others to Christ? So I think the application for us this morning is Jesus cares about the suffering of humanity. And so should we. Do we not live in a time and a day and an age this morning where people are still suffering? You guys know that we live in this time of COVID for now the last two years. People are suffering. People are dying. But even greater than COVID, there's suffering and there's sickness and there's hardship all over the world every single day. 
And people are dying apart from Christ. It's more than just physical suffering. It's the reality of being a sinner before holy God and only Christ being able to rescue. As I thought about this particular passage, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, We can get so caught up in our self-preservation of our vaccines, our boosters, our masks, our social distancing, that we can forget the urgency and the call to love people in the name of Jesus, to go to the ends of the earth. You see, the gospel is not about self-preservation. The gospel is about the glory of God. The gospel is about the souls of men and women and boys and girls that need salvation. So we must be careful that we don't get so caught up in self-preservation that we forget the urgency of the need that is right before us every single moment of every single day. You know, I thought about Greg and Kilby as I was praying for them this morning. You guys, you know their story. They have suffered But why? Why did they move to Uganda? Why have they suffered such sickness and disease the last few weeks? Because they love Jesus. And they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we're called to do. And so when you read about Jesus in this passage, and you see the urgency of these people to get to him, and you see Jesus showing his compassion and his love in healing every single one of them. This isn't just the call of Jesus. This is the call upon our lives to show compassion, to show love to all around us. And lastly, I would say this morning before before we move on, whatever your motive is in coming today, Jesus loves you. And if you'll turn from your sin, you'll confess your sin to the Lord Jesus. And you'll put your faith and trust in Him and you'll surrender your life to Him. You will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will be made new. You will be given eternal life. Now sadly, not everybody was so excited to see Jesus, were they? So as we go to Mark chapter 7 now, we see there was another group that they also traveled to see Jesus. Look at verse 1 in Mark 7. It says that the Pharisees, they gathered to him with some of the scribes. And that word, the scribes, those were the ones that were the the teachers of the law of God. Uh, They were the copiers of the Old Testament. And, And not all the scribes were bad. I mean, we can think back to Ezra time of the exile he was a scribe of the lord and he loved god's word and he taught god's word but sadly over time we're going to see they continued to drift and drift and drift away from god's word and they got caught up in their own traditions and so they come to jesus and look at what it says they came all the way from jerusalem they came 90 miles approximately to the land of gesenaret to meet Jesus. But it wasn't to bow down to worship him. It wasn't because they saw their need for him. We're going to see that they came to accuse him and to question him. 
And immediately there in verse 2, it says, They saw some of his disciples, that they were eating with hands that were defiled, that were unwashed. And we're going to see in this passage, it's not about hygiene, okay? It wasn't that they were not washing their hands you know, before they ate, but there was something bigger that was going on. And so in verse 3, Mark begins to give us some explanation. It says that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly or according to their traditions, their rituals. They were holding to the tradition of the elders, the Jewish leaders that had gone before them. And you know, as I studied this in the Greek, it literally meant that they would wash one's hand properly with the fist. So somehow they would wash their hand, just causing the water to run down. It, it, it was kind of hard to know for certain. But again, it wasn't like today where, you know, sometimes it feels like we're washing our hands so much and we're putting on our Germex that it almost is like we're scrubbing our, you know, our skin off. It, it wasn't anything about hygiene. It was just them following these rituals and these traditions so that they, in their mind, we're going to be clean and pure before the Lord. So in verse 4, Mark gives even more explanation that when they would come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they would observe. And it talks about the washing of the cups and the pots and the copper vessels and even their dining couches of all of these things they would do to try to make themselves clean and pure and right before the Lord. And so in verse 5, we see all of this leads to a confrontation with Jesus. Look at what verse 5 says. The Pharisees and the scribes, they begin to ask Jesus, Why do your disciples... So did you catch that? There's this accusation, this confronting of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus, these are your disciples. And why are they not walking or living according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. Now, let me say this on the front end. This had nothing to do with Jesus and his disciples being disobedient to the word of God. What they were accusing Jesus of was not following the oral traditions of man, of these Jewish leaders or elders. So here are some things for us to think about this morning. We're going to see that the Pharisees are worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way. The Pharisees are very sincere and passionate in what they believe, but guys, they are sincerely wrong. You can be passionate in believing something this morning and be completely wrong in what you're believing, right? I mean, we see this all around us. People are very passionate and very sincere in what they believe, 
But if it isn't in accordance or in line with the word of God, it's sincerely wrong. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 30. Jesus did give, or the word of God gives us some directions when it came to uh, these particular kinds of washings. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21. Exodus chapter 30, 17 through 21. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. So this is when God is giving instruction to Moses about the tabernacle and how everything was supposed to be set up of worshiping the Lord. He goes on to say, you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. So when we read that, God had given direction and instructions to the priests the Levitical priesthood of how they were uh, to cleanse themselves, to purify themselves as they represented the people and before they went in to worship or minister before the Lord uh, in the holy place, uh, in the tabernacle. But here's the problem when you go back to Mark chapter 7. The problem is these scribes and these Pharisees, they took passages from the Old Testament and they came up with their own oral law or traditions of the way things were supposed to be in their minds. They took the law of God that it was too ambiguous, that it was open to too many interpretations. So instead of just simply following what the word of God said, they said, you know what? We're actually going to make this better. We're going to build a fence around God's word. We, we don't want to disobey God's word. So we're going to come up with our own regulations and stipulations to make this fence around the word of the Lord. Basically, guys, they didn't see the word of God as being sufficient. And so they felt like they had to come up with their own interpretations and their own teachings. So look back at verse 4 in Mark 7. So one of the things that they did when you look at verse 4, you know, they would go to the marketplace and then they wouldn't eat until they had washed. And again, it wasn't just cleaning their hands. For them, it was being right before God. They had to worship, had to wash a certain way. And so when they would go to the marketplace, they would run into Gentiles. They would run into potentially Romans. They would run into Samaritans. And in their interaction with these other people, they were like, okay, they're dirty and they're unclean. And so therefore, to make sure that we're right with God, we have to develop all of these different traditions and modes of washing 
so that we're right before God. And so what ended up happening during the time of Jesus and up into the second century, they developed what was called the Mishnah. And it was all of these purity laws and traditions that became this Jewish document. Guys, they, they came up with like hundreds of pages of this stuff. One of the rabbis, it got to the point, he said, you know, if you abode or you live in the land of Israel, and as long as you wash yourself properly, you will have eternal life. So you, you have to understand this wasn't just hygiene. It got to the point of this self-righteous, arrogant, prideful system of regulations that in order for you to be right with God, you have to do it the way of the Pharisee. You have to do it the way of our tradition. So I hope you're able to see this morning the problem with that. What is our ultimate authority? It's God's word. And so what was happening, they were putting tradition as equal to God's word, or even in some cases, above God's word. That was the problem. R.C. Sproul called it regulation madness. It like got out of control. You got to do this. You can't do that. You got to do this. You can't do that. This is, think about this. This is why they got so upset with Jesus. Not just because his disciples didn't wash their hands, but remember when the disciples were going through the grain field and they began to unhusk some of the grain and they began to eat it. And they were like, oh, oh, oh you can't do that. That's work. That's work on the Sabbath, Jesus. Your disciples were just unhusking that grain. That was work. Or the man with the, the hand of that was the man with leprosy, his hand was leprous, and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Oh, Jesus, you can't do that. That's work on the Sabbath. Or the man that had a demon, and Jesus cast out the demon on the Sabbath. Or Jesus actually going into the graveyard in Mark chapter 5. The the man with the, the legion of demons, all these things. Jesus eating with sinners, tax collectors. Oh, Jesus, you can't eat with them. You'll be defiled. And so the Pharisees came up with this self-righteous, human-made system that was no longer the word of God. That's the problem. Now let's think about church history and let's think about today. Do we still struggle or have we struggled with certain with similar things? Think about Roman Catholicism. It became all about the traditions, the rituals, the prayers, the indulgences, right? Think about modern day church life, Protestantism. You can only dress certain ways for church. You got to wear robes. There's prayer rituals. You can eat certain things, but there's things you can't eat. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he once joked, if there was no Sunday morning service at 11, how many of you would still be Christians? Can we only worship the Lord Sunday mornings at 11? Or can we meet 830, by the way, on a piece of property outside? 
right? We can get so caught up in our traditions. I'll never forget growing up as a kid, the church that I grew up in, we were going to move Sunday school from 9.45 to 9.30. I mean, in my mind, it's like, okay, I mean, that's 15 minutes. Well, I mean, it took forever to make this decision. It was such a big deal. I'm thinking, 15 more minutes in the Word. This is good. But some didn't think it was so good because it was breaking tradition. Guys, we probably all have traditions, and it's not that all of our traditions are wrong, but we need to remember and understand, church, family, our traditions are just traditions. They're not the Word of God. We can meet on a Sunday morning at 8.30. We can meet at 9. We can meet at 9.30. By the way, you can meet out underneath the trees. You can meet in a building. You can meet in a school. Right? What's the church? It's the people of God. You know, Pastor Doug, Pastor Jim, I thought about two of two ways that God has been so gracious and merciful to us as a church family, I think, to help us just continuing to keep our eyes on what's most important. Is we met in that school for years, about 10 years, and we've met outside for the last two years. Right? Because some people would say, that, that's, that's not going to work. Meeting outside, nobody will come. Well, look around you. Who's the one that brings the people? It's God. It's a work of His grace. It's a work of His power. It's a work of His gospel. Now, you can think about music. There was a time when the piano was introduced, and you may or may not know this, but it was seen to be of the devil because you could only use the organ. That was tradition. So, oh, we can't use the piano. Now we have the keyboard, right? So we just have to be careful that we don't become like the Pharisees and we're worshiping man-made traditions. So all of this leads to the second truth that we'll wrap up with this morning. Jesus is a condemning judge. We've seen his compassion to the masses. We've seen the context of the Pharisees, their accusation against Jesus. But I want you to see how he responds. How does he respond? Again, Jesus had done nothing wrong according to the word, but he wasn't aligning himself with their traditions. Look at verse 6. Jesus as the judge. He says unto them, so he's speaking to these Pharisees to these scribes, and look at what he says in verse 6. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Jesus goes right to the word. He goes to Isaiah 29, 13 is what he's quoting, and he calls them a bunch of hypocrites. And that word in the Greek, you've heard this before, it was the, the parts that people would play in the theater. In a play, they would wear different masks. Jesus is saying, you're just a bunch of pretenders. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're not who you say that you are. You're all about this outward stuff that everybody's supposed to live by, but inside, your 
Heart is like dead man's bones. You're still dead in your sin is what he would tell him in Matthew 23. And so he goes on to say in verse 6, It's written, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Pharisees, you say all the right things, all the religious things, and I think I just lost power. So you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is still dead in sin and you're far from me. Can I use this other one, Brandon? Okay. Is it still on? One or this one. Praise God for Brandon trying to figure all this stuff out. <laughs> be loud. Just be loud. All right, we're gonna move forward. Continuing on in verses 6 and 7. Jesus goes on to say in verse 7, In vain do they worship me. You know that word vain, it means utterly worthless. It doesn't matter. So they say that they're worshiping God, but it's in vain. Remember what I told you? They're supposedly worship, worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way. See, some people are completely worshiping the wrong God. But then others may say they're worshiping the right God, but they're worshiping in the wrong way. How are they worshiping in the wrong way? Look at verse 7. They were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That was the problem. Instead of submitting to the Word of God, they began to teach the commandments of men. So finally in verse 8, Jesus says this, You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. You've left what's most important. You've left the Word of God, and you're now focused on the tradition of man. The second truth, Jesus is their condemning judge. They're not right before a holy God. They're dead in their sin. They have no life. They have no eternal life. They have no forgiveness. They have no salvation. So even though they would have been seen before others, as being righteous, as being right before God, Jesus is telling them, no, you're not. I mean, think about how Jesus responds to them. You're not right in all of your traditions that you are carrying out. And when you think about verse 8, 
It's one of those verses that is a very sobering verse, isn't it? It's tragic. It's sad. I want you to think about these Jews. They had all of the covenants. The Noahic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. The Davidic covenant. They had all of the prophets of God. They had the word of God right there at their disposal. And Jesus says, you've left the commandment of God and you're holding to your own traditions. And Everglades Baptist Church, hear me say this morning, it's only by God's grace we haven't done that. But the day that we leave the word of God and we hold to our own traditions, our church is dead. It's worthless. It's in vain. You can keep gathering all you want. But if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not living the gospel, if we're not loving the gospel, if we're not sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we're dead. We've left our first love and that's what happened to the Pharisees. It was a dead man's religion. We can't add or take away from the word of God. R.C. Sproul, he put it this way. Every time we add to the law of God, we inevitably subtract from it. And that's what they did. They added to God's word and said so they were subtracting from it. Because instead of putting our attention on the things that God is concerned about, human regulations cause us to lose sight of what concerns him. We begin to major in the minors. Guys, this is about the glory of God. This is about the gospel of God. This is about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And if we ever get away from that, we're done. We're majoring on the minors. And we begin to give our devotion to our traditions and our human regulations. Every local church battles this. We're not excluded. Now, let me bring a little bit of balance to this. The Pharisees were arrogant and they were prideful and they were self-righteous and they had no desire whatsoever to submit to Jesus or to submit to the word of God. Their faith was in themselves and in their traditions. But what this passage is not saying of like Israel and I, let's say we're having a biblical discussion about end times. And maybe you got an amillennial view and a classical premillennialist view. And we're trying to wrestle through the scriptures. And we're having a good, healthy Bible discussion about that. And we're still trying to figure it out. Okay, that's not what was going on in this passage. This was, we are not going to submit to God's word. They were prideful in that. Because at the end of the day, guys, do I have it all figured out? No. And I know Israel would say he doesn't have it all figured out. So we're always growing and we're always learning. We're always reforming and submitting to the truth of God's word. But the Pharisees had no desire to do that. They wanted it 
their way. So I'm just trying to give some balance. That's not what this passage is getting at. I want you to turn this morning to Psalms 118. Psalms 118, verses 8 and 9. You know, this morning, you have a choice before you. You can embrace Jesus as your compassionate Savior and all that cry out to Him, He never turns away. He will save you. He will rescue you. He will forgive you. Or you can be like the Pharisees this morning and you can reject Jesus Christ that's right before you. Look at Psalms 118, 8 and 9. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put your trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You see, the Pharisees put their trust in themselves and they put their trust in man and they didn't trust in the Lord. That's the choice that we have before us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think about this passage, it's a sad passage. That Jesus, you were right there before these Pharisees. Savior, the Lord, Son of God, could have repented, could have been rescued and saved, but instead they were caught up in themselves and their own ways. Father, I pray today that we would be a church that continues to submit to the authority, the sufficiency, the truth of your word. God, may we not get caught up in ourselves and our own traditions and our own ways. God, help us to not add or take away from your word. God, help us to trust in you with all of our heart and our soul, and our mind, and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. And God, you will continue to direct our paths. And then, Father, I pray for those today that maybe are still dead and lost in sin, that today would be the day of salvation. They would go from trusting in themselves to trusting in the one that can rescue them and save them from their sin. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in your name today. Amen.